Today's episode of Dear Old State is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Welcome back to Dear Old State, the Athletics Penn State football podcast. I am Athletic College Football Editor Matt Brown, joined uh, in isolation by Audrey Snyder, our Penn State writer. Audrey, how are you passing the time as the calendar moves to April? And uh, we're kind of in isolation until the end of April, at least. Thank God we're in April, Matt. Uh, That's good. I think we're all ready to be done with March, so that's uh, that's fine. You know, (laughs) I, I feel like I've been... Honestly, I've been busy, uh, busier than I thought. And I know people are probably going to say, oh, my God, there's no college football. What in the world are you doing? Um, There's still been a lot of stuff to write about, a lot of people to talk to. Been getting some projects done around the house. So that's been good. Um, I also would recommend everyone, if you're going to spray paint your patio furniture to freshen it up in the garage, make sure the garage door is open. Great, great advice. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that was how I spent the weekend. So I'm trying to get ready for spring. I'm ready for Easter. So I got some Easter decorations out. House is looking good. Uh, it's never been cleaner and probably never will be cleaner than it is during this time of isolation. Um, but honestly, Matt, I have not watched a lot of TV. Um, I watched a little bit of Ozark, a couple episodes into the new season, but that's that's really been about it. How about you? Well, I've, I'm the one who's like weird and has been begging for ESPN Classic to return to my cable provider. And now basically every sports <laughs> channel is ESPN Classic right now. I think last night, we're recording this Wednesday, I think Tuesday night, there were like eight sports channels that had old games on. So I've been watching a lot of old sports. I do it on YouTube. This is like heaven for you, you know, man. In some respects. I watched. <laughs> I was watching the 1991 Penn State-BYU game the other day. I watched the 2002 Penn State-Michigan State game. So I've been watching some old Penn State games, some old other college football games. So uh, yeah, lots of sports history stuff going on and going on at the athletic uh i think i will shout out i spent a lot of the last two weeks helping to organize the athletics college football best players by jersey numbers ever it took a lot of google image searching um (laughs) because there's just so many obviously great college football players with similar careers because they only last three or four years uh, so from one to ninety nine, we put that up on monday check that out on the athletic penn state had had two uh, I was I basically came up, did a lot of the research and came up with the bulk of the candidate list. Me and a couple other editors uh, then voted. And with the most contentious ones, we got some more input from uh, Bruce Feldman, Andy Staples and Stuart Mandel. That actually led to one of our most contentious picks was LeVar Arrington at number 11. I voted for him and that got backed up by our, our national writers. So LeVar Arrington was our choice for 11. And uh Maybe a controversial one, even among Penn State fans. Paul Pozlesny was picked at number 31 over Shane Conlon and then some other prominent non-Penn State 31s. But uh, back-to-back Bednarik awards speak pretty well of Pozlesny. And then the other one, I made a case for Mike Reed, but he did not end up getting picked. Uh, he lost out to Teddy Bursky, who had a pretty pretty great career at Arizona as well. But lots of Penn Staters made honorable mention, and uh, it's fun to put together, fun to fun to argue. 
What uh, was the uh, the argument for twenty six? Because that so one, that's probably the one that Penn State fans will wonder about. And yeah, my mentions were getting blown up a little bit the other day, and I had to one. quickly. Yeah. Uh, weirdly, like I don't remember. I I might have initially voted for Sean Taylor. The other two editors actually voted for Rod Woodson, and then we floated okay. this one out with Saquon. And I think Sean Taylor was the consensus choice. And look. Sean Taylor was like an iconic safety. He's like one of the most talented yeah. safeties ever. Um, you know, played for great some great Miami teams. And so I I don't think you could have gone wrong with any of those three. It's just weird thing with some of the more recent guys. It's like sometimes you're a victim of recency bias and like pick, yes, pick absolutely. recent guys. But also though, for doing something like this, we found sometimes it's harder to place the recent guys in history just because we don't yeah. have like we don't really know how they're going to be remembered yet. Like, you know, Herschel Walker and some of the other like 80s choices, they are firmly entrenched with their place in history now. Whereas some of the more recent guys, we don't really know how they're going to be viewed 10, 20 years from now. So it's, it's kind of, it leads to some fun arguments. No, because I the recency bias thing was something definitely, and we'll get into Saquon it. Saquon deserves it. Like, the, here's the thing with all, yeah. a lot of these. There were three or more correct answers for a bunch of these. Like, you could do this list in many different ways. Uh, you know, number 20 had five Heisman winners and Ed Reed. It's like, you can pick <laughs> any of them. Like, there, there's that many correct answers. Mike Reed easily could have been 68, but so could Teddy Bruschi, you know? So, we found flaws with the system, man. It's, so every, well, that's just maybe we should have, I mean, at least you had the honorable mentions, though, which I thought was really cool. Which because... got out of control because we just had so many, and this is what I was like. <laughs> I went through Heisman top tens, first rounds of NFL drafts for 50 years, consensus All-Americans for 80 years. This took up a lot of my time. <laughs> so if we're talking how to stay sane in social, in isolation, I don't recommend doing what Matt did and looking at everyone's jersey number. Well, actually, it was a distraction. So. <laughs> you know, I feel like that's been the kind of the cool thing is like you find different ways to stay entertained and like. I've had more Zoom calls with friends, family members, all that kind of stuff. Um, my parents are using FaceTime, which they've never done before, so that's been entertaining. Um, I'm big into music, so my guitars are all tuned up and looking good and restrung one of them, so that's all like all been fun and stuff. But like, it's almost mad. I feel like at this point, it's so, it's so much of this is all like it's a mental game too. You know, it's like, okay, how can I keep my mind going? What can I read? What can I do? Can I walk around the neighborhood? Can I exercise in my basement? Like, it's just, I mean, we're all out there looking for answers. Um, so I hope by us doing this podcast, I hope we're helping some other people fill the time um, because Hopefully we got a lot of hours to fill. And like you said, Matt, we're only on April 1st. We thought, man, even thinking back to March 1st, it was like, oh, spring ball's coming up. Like, I'm getting ready to go on vacation, and um, we're here. So we're all just trying to make the best of it. Yeah, so we will get to the bulk of this podcast. We'll focus on something else we published on The Athletic uh, this week, which was Audrey put together a Penn State fan survey. We got, what, over 700 responses, I believe? Yes, yes, um, we did. So we're going to – Audrey and I are going to basically take the survey ourselves, I think, here and discuss our what we would – say for the answers and, and what uh, kind of the bulk of our readers said. But first, there is there has actually been Penn State news and, and discussions. Uh, there have been spring press conferences, just in a very different way. Audrey, you've been <laughs> on Zoom with James Franklin, with Brent Pry, with uh, Tyler, Bowen. Tyler Bowen. So I guess maybe let's go back and, and start with James Franklin last week, who kind of 
laid out basically what Penn State is is doing and how how they're kind of coping with uh, a, a kind of unprecedented challenge to with with the team. For sure, uh, James Franklin was zooming. I guess that's the proper verb. He was zooming with us uh, from Colorado. He was out there um, at his family's condo. So that's, I guess, where they're kind of hunkered down at. And, you know, the thing with that, Matt, is like everybody, nobody has the answer to this. And as James Franklin said, he's like, you know, we try to prepare for every scenario. We lay out roadmaps for every possible bowl game with practice schedules. He's like, nobody could not even Nick Saban had a a contingency (laughs) plan for this. So, yeah, like it's just I mean, it's so unprecedented. It's. I think what really hurts Penn State, too, was the fact that this happened during spring break, so they couldn't even meet with the guys and say, hey, here's what we want What we want you to do. Players didn't have chances to get their books, to get their notes. Um, one of the stories I'm working on this week, I've talked with a bunch of people in academics, and, you know, how are you handling this? What does eligibility mean when Penn State now has a grading system that includes pass-fail. Um, there's so many questions on the academic side of this that are really fascinating that I'm going to dig into um, in the next week or so as well. But Franklin was saying that, you know, they're just trying to prepare for whenever they get back. And kind of the theme with all the coaches that we've spoke to so far is they don't know when they're coming back. I mean, Penn State is doing online classes through the, the spring semester. So you're talking at least early May you're dealing with this. Uh, they're just trying to figure out how do they maximize this time as best that they can. And one of the things Tyler Bowen said on Wednesday morning when we spoke with him was that, you know, he thought he's like, okay, a lot of our guys are listening to podcasts regularly. Um, Maybe they listen to Dear Old State, Matt. Probably not, but maybe. We can hope. But what he said was, you know, what they're doing is like putting installs as podcasts, So it's like, hey, guys, like you can listen to this install via this podcast that we created for you, uh, which I thought was really cool, really creative. But I think, you know, one of the things, Matt, is how because you always see so much roster change uh, attrition after spring ball. Mm -hmm. Guys have very honest conversations about where they're at on the depth chart. Now you're not having that uh, because you don't have those 15 practices to evaluate. So that could be interesting But Franklin said, you know, they're going to continue to do uh, what's been recommended to them. And one of the things I will talk with Dwight Galt later on this week, uh, Brent Pry had mentioned that Penn State's nutritionists, that they're hopping on Zoom and meeting with players and saying, okay, you have different foods available to you at home. What, What should you be eating? How can we make this happen? But I think, Matt, one of the things that might be getting lost in all of this and all the pandemic talk and all the virtual schooling and this and that is every situation, every background is different. Um, You know, we, because we work from home, we might take it for granted and say, okay, um, you know, I have Wi-Fi in my house. This is how I work. Uh, Not everybody has Wi-Fi in their home. Not everybody has a laptop in their home. Not everybody has groceries that are healthy that they can eat. Um, Not everybody has a spare bedroom in their house or their apartment where they can sleep in. I mean, James Franklin said that some of the kids returned home and it's like, hey, mom or mom and dad turns your bedroom into something else. So maybe you're now sleeping on a couch. Um, You know, maybe your family can't afford some of these foods that you're used to having uh, at training table that you're used to having post-workout. So how do you kind of navigate this? So the nutritionists are staying on board with this. Dwight Galt is staying looped in with this. 
uh, Penn State for all all students. If they didn't have a laptop, the university was trying to figure out how to send them one, how to send them hotspots. So there's just so many things to uncover when you, you look at the way this is all shaping up. But the thing, the theme with all these coaches has been staying positive, maximizing your time, staying healthy. Uh, because, I mean, let's face it, Matt, like Brent Price said, you know, when he gets his linebackers on Zoom, he's waiting for that last guy to get on, hoping that they're going to get on that day hoping that they're still focused, that they're still doing their schoolwork, hoping that they're staying self-motivated and all of these things, and hoping, of course, that their families are healthy. I mean, it's just so scary on so many levels, Um, but Penn State has so many contingency plans in place, and we're starting to see these play out. Right. I mean, it's just it's kind of the same for all of us too. It's, you know, everything's Mm -hmm. kind of beyond our control. You just have to do your part by literally doing nothing, uh, and then just trying to <laughs> trying to make the best of the situation for yourself and for Penn State for the for the team and you know fortunately technology uh, you know allows it to to be different than it would have been like if this happened twenty years ago with with the spring you know they could still stay better Oof. connected and all that uh, but it's certainly it's just you know what every team in the country is dealing with right now um, and you know still hoping that the season goes on as scheduled and all that. And if, if that's the case, then you got to be planning now and and trying to make up for spring practice however you can remotely. And, you know, you're, you're dealing too now with you're looking at guys who were set to enroll in May. Um, I'll go back to uh, Micah Bowens, who I talked with a week or two ago. He's supposed to get here in May. And it's like, uh, is campus open in May? You know, is it yeah, something where maybe they enroll in May and he's taking classes online. So he's technically enrolled, but he's not here. Uh, I mean, there's just, there's so many variables, but, um, and it's also an interesting balance too, because you're talking to these coaches and you're, you're getting all of these ideas about the pandemic and how they're making these plans. But then there's also the football component too. And it's like, Hey, like, should we be asking about the depth chart? Cause it really doesn't matter. Right. Like we've got bigger fish to fry. Um, but there's actually been a good bit of football talk, too, which I think has been nice because it's this is what we do for a living. It feels normal. This is, I think, what fans want to hear to some extent. Right. Like we don't want to pound you over the head with coronavirus. Um, so there's been a lot of that. And well, Brent give, me Pry a, uh, yeah, like, give me a main takeaway yeah. from Brent Pry, who seemed to spend most of his, his Zoom call with reporters talking Talking about his defense Talking and like ball. basically, yeah, a spring, a, a, as much of an ordinary spring press conference as you could have, it seems, in terms of trying yeah. to talk about the team. So what was your main takeaway from Brett Pry talking about his defense? With Pry, he talked a lot about their offseason study with the defense and, you know, what are they trying to do? What have they been focusing on since the Cotton Bowl? And so I asked him point blank. I said, okay, well, what was, you know, what did you take away from that offseason study about the past defense? So he said, he's like, yeah, that was at or near the top of the list. And he said it was really them looking at, okay, why were we giving up so many completions, so many big completions? Uh, what changed from last year to this year in that regard? Yes, the run defense was a lot better this past year compared to the previous year, but still the numbers are not what you want from an elite defense at all. So he said, you know, maybe they were trying to have too many coverages and not doing many of them well. Maybe quarterbacks were able to ID what they were trying to do. Uh, Maybe it was an execution issue. He said, like, there were just so many variables for them to look at with this. So they made some headway there. He did say, and I thought this was interesting, they studied 
some of the better off some sorry some of the better defenses and how those defenses looked against some of the best offenses and some of the better quarterbacks. And he did say too, which again makes sense. He talked with Kirk Shiraka yeah, about no better that Minnesota this point, game. Right? <laughs> yep, it's like hey, you know, like because obviously that those RPOs gave Penn State fits, and so they've had conversations about why Shiraka thought certain things were going to work in that game against Penn State and why they worked. So these guys are still spreading ideas. They're still hopping on Zoom every other day for staff meetings. They're still, you know, trying to figure out how to forge ahead with recruiting. So, but but I thought with pride that was really interesting. And of course, Matt, always comes down to how can they best utilize Micah Parsons? That was a big part of the offseason study as well, Pry said. Um, so, you know, I mean, he went through the depth at linebacker and how Jesse Lucetta and Ellis Brooks are going to compete for, you know, a starting job at middle linebacker and how he really likes the competitors that they have there. So, you know, his kind of took a tone of, hey, here's almost the depth chart. It felt like we were in the Beaver Stadium media room after the spring game when we typically hear from Brent Pry. Um, and then talking with Tyler Bowen Wednesday morning, I asked him about recruiting and what changed, you know, what changes. And he said, well, you know, he's used to FaceTiming with a lot of kids. Um, you know, as one of the recruiting coordinators, he's doing this all the time. But the thing that really is going to change, and we don't know this yet, Matt, but if Penn State doesn't have their recruiting camps this summer, in June, in July, uh, that's when they'll really start to feel this because that's when the in-person evaluations are so important. Um, so that's kind of, you know, Bowen also said, Zach Kuntz, Brenton Strange, uh, those guys, you know, they're trying to stay up to speed. They're trying to develop because they want to keep using two tight ends. So um, there is that. And I will say uh, from some of my reporting this week, I did hear um, that Theo Johnson uh, apparently is staying in uh, New York with a family member. So he didn't go back to Canada because of fear of the border closing and that kind of thing. So Again, Matt, I mean, you've got an international roster, yep. so, you know, I mean, there's just, there's so many things going on here, but yeah, so it's, it's been a mix of football talk mixed with recruiting, mixed with contingency plans and trying to best prepare. Uh, and then I will talk with Dwight Galt later this week. We'll hear from Sandy Barber on Thursday. So, um, I will say Matt Penn state has done a really nice job, really great job of getting us connected with these coaches, with these, you know, ADs, with people making decisions, uh, helping us do our jobs to get information out to the public. So that's been very much appreciated. And I believe we have basically like three pieces of news concerning the roster recruiting the past few years or past few weeks, I should say. No, not years. <laughs> it feels like it feels years. Like years. It does. So we had, first of all, Mac Hipp Hippenhammer, the wide receiver, no longer listed on the football roster and focusing on baseball. So that, I don't know how much we expected from him this year, but it's just another kind of curveball thrown into the yeah. wide receiving core. Was that a pun intended there, Matt? A curveball thrown? No, but now it is, sure. <laughs> Glad I pointed it out. Yep. <laughs> um, we have uh, Trent Gordon moving from cornerback to safety, which I don't think should be a shocker. You know, Penn State has a lot of depth at cornerback. We've talked about it a lot, mm -hmm. especially with Keaton Ellis, Marquise Wilson, Joey Porter Jr. Um, and, you know, there seems to be just more of a competition I don't want to say more of a competition, more of an, an opening for safeties to emerge. It seems yes. like that's kind of a weaker point than corner. And then also we had, which we'll get to more soon, you wrote about uh, Landon Tangwell, four-star recruit uh, from Maryland's offensive yes. tackle, committing to Penn State as a big-time building block potentially. 
And we're going to have more from him, I think, probably next week on Dear Old State. Uh, we'll have some an audio interview with Audrey and Landon yeah. Tangwell. So I don't know if you want to tease that quickly here. I'll tease it. Yeah. Um, I mean, this was a big get for Penn State. This was absolutely a big get. You're getting someone top 50 in the country. Of course, he's going to continue working on Nolan Rucci. He's going to continue working on Caleb Williams, the five-star quarterback who is at the top of Penn State's wish list and many other schools' wish lists. But he does have Penn State. Uh, Williams has Penn State in his final five. But, Matt, the, the thing that I really like about this addition for Penn State is that they've consistently tried to keep restocking this offensive line with elite talents. Um, and this is a guy, you know, part of the interview – I'm asking him about his background and all this stuff, and he loves weightlifting. Like he said, that is his other passion. If he wasn't a football player, this guy would probably be a weightlifter. Um, His body has undergone some crazy impressive transformations over the years. Um, Grew up playing water polo. Twenty forty strength coach, maybe. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Like, like this, it's, I think it's going to be really remarkable. And one of the things that really attracted him to Penn state was Dwight Galt. And Hey, you know, I, he's like, I love lifting weights. I love being in the weight room. Um, he had a previous relationship with Dwight Galt because of course, Galt, uh, in the Maryland area, the family entrenched in the Maryland area. So there's some familiarity there, but I also had a chance to talk with his, his high school coach and, I think, Matt, this is probably the best way to put it. His high school coach said, you know, if you're looking for somebody to check boxes, Landon checks every box. He's one of the hardest workers uh, on his high school team. He's like a low-maintenance guy, which I'm sure is what the Penn State staff loves. Um, you know, and he's really good. I mean, like, that's the other part of this, right? Like, you're dealing with a top 50 player. And now Penn State has three verbal commitments in this class and Tangwell has the opportunity to go out there and try and help recruit, try and keep this momentum going. And he said, you know, he wasn't going to commit when he did. Um, but because of isolation, he was kind of like, you know what? I know what I want. I want to go to Penn State. Let's not drag this out anymore. Picks Penn State over Notre Dame. Um, so, yeah, we'll get to his conversation next week. But really enjoyed getting to talk with him. Um, I think it's always interesting when you are dealing with recruits just – kind of the different maturity levels and where they're at and speaking with Tangwall, it seemed like I was talking with another adult, uh, super well smoke, well spoken, uh, really seems to know what he wants and that kind of thing. So I think one of the best additions, um, in a good while for Penn state. So now we have to see Matt, if they can build off that momentum, uh, as recruiting kind of hits this weird uncharted territory, given everything that's going on. Well, more on recruiting in a bit. I think it's time to shift gears to our kind of fun diversion, I think, amid all of this. Ah, uh, yes. You know, no spring practice. So we've had a few of these popped up. Audrey, you jumped on the chance to do it for Penn State. I think Penn State is a good fan base to do this with. We've had some fan surveys published on The Athletic. So uh, we've had did some for Tennessee and Washington, Notre Dame. And obviously our listeners will be most interested in the Penn State one. And <laughs> got a good response for sure. You posted it last week, over 700 responses. Uh, we had some kind of multiple choice questions. We had some open-ended questions. So what we're going to do here is go through Audrey's survey. If you haven't seen it, it was posted on Tuesday morning. Penn State fan survey results, approval ratings, favorite players, and more is the headline. Uh, So check that out. But we're going to go through it now. And we're going to, I think Audrey and I are going to give our answers. And we're going to just kind of talk through how that compares to what the responses were. So let's get into it. Uh, And we started with, it's just kind of like a state of the program survey, really. Um, so we started with 
how would you rate James Franklin's performance through six seasons as Penn State's head coach? Uh, one through five, one being poor, five being excellent. Uh, the most respondents said a four with 49.4%, but five had 46.3% and three had 2.8%. Audrey, what would you give James Franklin's performance through six seasons? I'd give him a five. Um, now, I will say, Matt, I'll start off by saying typically I'm a little bit of a tough grader in my, in my other honestly. life. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm a, bit, a little bit of a tough grader, but, uh, you know, I say this because I think people would say, oh, well, you know, yeah, he had Saquon Barkley and, you know, they got to the Rose Bowl with him and that's great, but people want, want them to make the college football playoff, which was very much a theme for the survey. But I'll go back to, okay, well, who was the person recruiting Saquon Barkley? James Franklin and staff, you know? That always gets left out in, like, debates about, like, you know, whenever you see, like, for Coach of the Year or stuff like that, it's like, well, it's always, like, some guy who, like, went 5-7 and and then goes, you know, 10-2 and the next year. But it's like, well, Nick Saban has all the good players. Well, what do you think the biggest part of the job is for coaching? It's recruiting and getting those players on campus and then having them not be busts. Getting those star-studded guys matters. I mean, it's so that to me, and like also, Matt, you have to think about, and I think some of our people in the open-ended portion did a really good job summing this up, and I, I felt like I was on the same page with them. Like, remember where this program was. Remember that it was working through sanctions, right? Like, just for me to kind of say like, oh, he'd be a three, a two, a one, or even a four, I'm like, no, I mean, look at, especially look at the record the last four years, because the first two, you were still coming off these sanctions. Yes, there will be things in the last four years that we have nitpicked ad nauseum, and we will continue That's to. <laughs> That's, yes, but I think all in all, I think it's a five. What What's what's your number? Can I cheat and say like four and a half? No, Matt, no <laughs> fractional grades. I think my initial reaction was four, and I don't like... I don't think that's negative. I think that's he's yeah. doing a really good job. I think there's been, you know, some missteps. We've seen missteps. But ultimately, um, nobody thought that Penn State would have zero losing seasons since the sanctions. Uh, I think that is – we should not, like, forget Mind how remarkable blowing. that is. Um, they have not been unranked since October 16th, 2016, which was just before the Ohio State game, which got them back into the poll. Bay people. Since then, they have not been unranked, which is remarkable. There's not that many teams that can say that. Um, so they has been consistently good, and they're not. We'll get to some of the more, some of the more, some of the descriptions here a little bit later. But you know, I think overall, recruiting's been very good. Uh, the results have been very good. Uh, consistently a good program. So I think I probably lean more toward toward four i think for a five it's like well you probably got to be like a playoff team but they've been really close they've been on the cusp so whether whether it's four or five i think their performance has been very 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 good Um, 96.7 percent of respondents were either a four or five so So they're happy and that's the thing for we i think we've we fall into the trap of you know reading too much of the the negative on social media Mm -hmm. which is what happens and people complaining about franklin whatnot and it's also the trap of a week-to-week basis during the season, you know, you nitpick the things that go wrong, but you know, we have, and it's the college football playoff system, you yes, know, or it's, yeah. it seems like it's playoff, playoff or, bust. or bust. And we have smart readers. We have smart listeners and everybody sees the big picture, which is these are the good times for Penn state football right now. And I think everybody yeah. can agree on that. Um, as much as you can nitpick certain things overall, big picture, things are going well. Um, so, well, that kind of, I think it overlaps with the next question. We've kind of already covered it. Mm-hmm. How would you rate the state of the program? Which uh, 
four or 57.2% said four, 41.2% said five, 1.1% said three. I don't think we have to dwell on this too much. I think we've kind of already answered that. Um, I mean, I would go four here, Matt, instead of five. Different. It is a little bit different of a question. Yeah, and I, 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 I just say this because I look at some, and again, maybe a little bit of recency bias here, but some of the things on the recruiting trail as in Julian Fleming, um, that to me would take it from a four to five. I also take into account um, they continue raising funds for the facility master plan, but where in the world are they at on that? Um, you know, they keep kind of digging into all of these things. Coaching changes, there have been a lot of them. Um, you know, you kind of look at Joe Moorhead, knocked it out of the park. Ricky Ronnie, not so much. But now I think Sharaka, I think they might have knocked it out of the park. Um, you look at the offensive line play and kind of some of those things. So for me, state of the program, I would go four instead of five. But again, I feel like we're splitting hairs here because the vast majority of people are very satisfied and should be. Well, I think you kind of even can compare this to the recruiting rating system, which is there's a small number of elite, elite five stars in any given class. Yep. Then there's, you know, I, I like, I'd say like in terms of we're looking at the 130 college football programs, you know, the top what? 20, 25, you'd say kind of are four stars then, but the fives are, who has a five state of the program right now? You look at Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, LSU, (laughs) LSU. Georgia, based on the way it's recruiting, the way it's contending, but not much beyond that in terms of we are Oklahoma, you could say, in terms of being consistently a playoff contender Mm -hmm. and one of those top teams. And there's the next tier, which is a good tier to be in. You know, again, Penn State just consistently like a top 15 team right now in terms of performance on the field and performance on the recruiting trail. And I think that's that's the gap. And then the bulk of the country is like in the three star range um, or three rating range. But Penn State would be solidly in that four. And there's still a line to cross to get to that, you know, consistent playoff contender, consistent, uh, you know, top five recruiter type team that are those, you know, premier blue bloods that we're talking about right now. Penn State. Probably in the high end of the four, but not quite a five right now. And that, too, is a big theme in the survey, kind of taking that next step, you know? It's a theme in the next one, too, kind of. Well, how would you – we have two questions here. How would you rate Franklin's performance as a coach? Um, Which there's a lot of kind of leeway in how to interpret that question, I think. Mm -hmm. And how would you rate Franklin's performance Oh, now Matt's taking shots at my survey. (laughs) Yes, I'm your editor. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) if I'm actually taking shots, I should have brought it up beforehand. (laughs) How would you rate Franklin's performance as a coach – 58.3% 58.3% said a four, 24.6% said a three, 13.9% said a five. I think most would interpret this kind of as like an on-field, like yes. how, how were the game actual day. results going game day. And then how would you rate the performance as a recruiter? 70% gave him a five, uh, 28.4% said a four, 1% said a three. Um, here's where like I would – I would give him an edge recruiting over like a game day coach. I, is he a five as a recruiter? I don't know. You know, there's still I, I behind would say Ohio four. State. I would probably say four. It's like, it's almost like I'd say he's a high end four as a recruiter mm-hmm. and a low end four in the other coaching aspects, which again, it is part of his job to delegate, to hire the right people. And there's been some mixed results, but overall they're still getting the on-field results. Even if you can quibble with, some of the timeout usage, timeout usage, things and five. like that. So it depends, it depends how we're framing performance as a coach, I feel like. Yeah, no, I, I'm right there with you, Matt, on, on both of these uh, things, because I think it's 
again, but if we, if we look at it, right, if we want to split hairs about his performance as a coach and some of these decisions, ultimately you have to go back and look at the record and look at what they've done the last four years and, like, yeah. you're winning games. So, like, there might be some – there are some decisions in games that we all kind of say, oh, man, what, what in the world was There's some quibbles with the close games that they could have won, and there's obviously the right. what-ifs about the last few years for sure. But all in all um, – Again, taking into account, he's the one making these hires, taking into account he's, you know, the CEO of this operation as the recruiting players. So I, I would I would agree with you there. Um, low end for as a coach, high end for as a recruiter. All right. So we, then we have the open ended responses here. And you asked, how would Those you describe the state of Penn State football? I think we had about 500 answers on this. I read um, each and every one of them. I did. So let's, uh, yeah, it was a lot. I was looking through them too. And <laughs> I, did, I don't think I did quite as much <laughs> reading them as you did, but you pulled out some of the, uh, some of the highlights. I'll kind of yep. run through them here. Matthew P said, quote, up and coming, but need to hit the next level shortly. Otherwise it'll drop back off into mediocrity again. Uh, Brock M said, quote, considering where the program was heading around this the time of the scandal, I think the program is in fantastic shape. Penn State competes year in, year out. It's only a matter of time before we beat Ohio State and get into the CFP. Couldn't ask for much more. Uh, Matt M said, good, but not quite elite. There have been some significant wins on the field and in recruiting, but there's still some serious work to do to be considered among the perennial CFP contenders. That said, it is truly remarkable where the program is compared to a decade ago. I think that one pretty much sums it up as much as I think the good, not elite or great, not elite. Like, I think we've all beaten a dead horse with that one. Like, you know, that was a long time ago now. It feels like it, I, it does kind of sum I it up though, doesn't it? It is, it is a quote that I think perfectly sums up where they're at in so many regards. So I think Matt M there says that, you know, he says that he said, mm-hmm. There's work to do. They're not a perennial contender, CFP, like championship contender yet. But the truly remarkable where the program is compared to a decade ago is 100% right. So I think that that I think Matt M might have summed it up the best right there. I liked Hunter L's answer the best. It was short and sweet. And he said, there's still another gear to hit, but it's hard to complain. <laughs> there you and go. I'm like, you know what? Like, like, again, like, let's think about the big picture where this program was. Um, yes, everybody wants to see Penn State take that next step. Everybody wants to see them get into the playoff. Um, but again, let's uh, let's keep the bigger picture in mind here. State of the program, very healthy, um, certainly. And some people touched on it too. They said like later in the survey, like this is a great era of Penn State football that you're in the midst of right now. Enjoy it. You know, it's easy to to look ahead and get wrapped up in those kinds of things, but really enjoy where they're at right now because it's been a hell of a ride. All right, let's move to now again. The two, the next one is the 2020 season will be considered success for Penn, success for Penn State if, and there was one reply from uh, Steve P that said, "quote the success the season will be a success if it happens." And I'm going to agree with Steve P there. Yes. So we're going to there were a few of those. Yeah. For the Purposes of this, we're just going to, you know, we're talking as if the season is going to happen on schedule fully. We're all hoping that's what happens. Um, so I'll read a few of the responses here. Brian W. said, for 2020 to be a success, Penn State will need to either win a Big Ten title, make the playoff, or both. Rebecca W. said, quote, they go to a New Year's Six Bowl. Mark M., quote, only have one regular season loss. Um, this one's a tough one because it's like, I feel like the answer is, you know, win a some kind of championship which is probably the big 10 championship right like mm-hmm. win the big 10 east gets the big 10 title game but if they don't do that and they go 10 and 2 and go to a new year's six bowl again like i don't think that's a failure um 
especially because Ohio State's in the division and is obviously, you know, nobody wants to use this as an excuse. And it is a home game this year, but it's still really hard. If you lose out to Ohio State and finish fifth in the polls, that's not a failure. So I don't know. I think a success is a Big Ten championship, but I wouldn't call not winning the Big Ten championship a failure, if that makes sense. And it's so, and again, that's where I think the whole college football playoff system makes yeah. this so difficult because, and somebody put it, they didn't leave their name, so I can't give them credit. Um, but they said success equals a New Year's six game always, and a great success is a college football playoff berth. That's correct. That's, that's I think that's it. a great, like a great way to put it. Again, um, we're all hoping there is a season. We don't know. We'll see. Uh, but again, right now, I feel like just having sports would be a win. But again, that's not going to satisfy people <laughs> come October, November, December. Uh, I think New Year's six always makes it a success. But again, everybody wants to see Penn State take that next step, which they're knocking on the door of. And part of that, Matt, is... is the next question? <laughs> yes, getting through the Big Ten East and beating Ohio State. Uh, so I pose the question, will Penn State beat Ohio State this year? 67.8% of respondents said yes. 32.2% said no. So you guys are feeling pretty good. Um, about this one now these last four games have been crazy but I do think and you touched on it earlier (coughs) whoever gets this game at home which Penn State has this year uh, October 24th that gives you an edge Uh, Penn State whiteout atmosphere you gotta capitalize on it when you get this game at home yeah, I'm going to – I appreciate the optimism and what did we say? The, the early game line was something like – we talked about it on the last show. Penn State's like a three-point early underdog or something like that. Yeah. Um, something in that ballpark. Uh, I mean, I'm going to go no. I think Ohio State is probably, you know, is one of the clear probably top three with mm-hmm. Alabama and Clemson going into the year. Uh, you know, Justin Fields coming back. Uh, you know, they certainly lose a lot. There's no Jeff Akuda. There's no Chase Young. There's no J.K. Dobbins. They lose a ton of, you know, NFL caliber players. But we also know that they just, for as well as Penn State is recruited, Ohio State is in that ter- that category that we talked about earlier that's just kind of on another level. Um, now, that's not I would go saying no they as can't, well. They, they can't say – that's not saying they can't win the game. Uh, nobody has played Ohio State better than Penn State in recent years. You know, you look at – even though they've lost seven of eight, uh, you know, they won in 2016. Uh, even in 2014, it went to double overtime. Yeah. Uh, 2017, one-point game, Penn State blew. 2018, one-point game, Penn State blew the lead. And last year, you know, Ohio State was clearly the better team, but Penn State, you know, fought hard, kept it close, had a shot to really make it interesting, uh, kind of lost, you know, lost grip on it, but still played Ohio State pretty well, all things considered, compared to the rest of the country. So at home, um, certainly give Penn State a shot. It's you know it's just I would give Ohio State you know probably a I don't know what percent chance, but Ohio State will probably win. So in which case I'm going to say no, Penn State's not going to win that game. But you know I appreciate the optimism and certainly think it's possible for the Lions. And everyone hold Matt accountable to this um, when we revisit this in October. Yeah, we'll see what I pick though. <laughs> <laughs> and then this kind of goes hand in hand here. What will Penn State's final regular season record be in 2020? 56.9% of readers said 11 and 1. 
31.1% said 10 and 2, 6.2% said 12 and 0, 5.8% said 9 and 3. I'm not going to do the math, but a very small number said otherwise. So, what do you think, Audrey? This is we're not going to hold ourselves to this now, but if you had to just no. give an off the cuff pick right I, now, I would what do you think? I'd probably go 10 and 2 um, yeah. right now in April. We'll see when we revisit this, hopefully in August with the season right around the corner, hopefully. Um, but again, I'd be on the cusp between 10 and 2 and 11 and 1 um, with one of those losses coming to Ohio State. But we're at this point, it, that's just totally speculative. What I found to be really interesting with this particular question, though, um, again, 6.2% said 12 and 0, 5.8% said 9 and 3. So. I mean, some of you guys are the, – the divide there to me is really interesting. Spring optimism. <laughs> well, either optimism or else you're like, oh, 9 and 3, you're really feeling down about it. So I do think for in order for Penn State to take the next step, a big part of that is going to have to be Sean Clifford and these receivers. Yep. Um, that's going to be instrumental, I think, to, you know, to see how they how they elevate to that next level. But I would be among the 30.1% that would say 10 and 2 at this moment on April 1st, but we'll see. Yeah, and it, again, it speaks to where Penn State is. That 10 and 2 feels like the safe prediction. Like, yeah. it feels, yeah, that feels very reasonable. Um, you know, look at the schedule. They play road games at Virginia Tech, Michigan, uh, Nebraska, and actually don't sleep on Indiana, who... If you look at some of the, like the early statistical rankings for next year, uh, like uh, Bill Connolly at ESPN, his SP Plus ratings have Indiana like 27th. Um, so it could be a better Indiana team than we're used to. Probably, you know, Indiana I think is going to be predicted to finish higher than Michigan State, probably by a lot of people this year. Um, at Michigan. So you have those, yeah, Virginia Tech, Michigan, Indiana, and Nebraska, four of the five road games, the other being Rutgers. Uh, but four of them, you know, not not easy. And then there's Rutgers. Um, <laughs> and then you have home games against Ohio State, uh, Michigan State, Iowa uh, is kind of the big ones that stand out. Also, Kent State, San Jose State, Northwestern, um, and Maryland. But, you know, so it's it's not an easy schedule. We know the Big Ten East is never easy. And then you add in Virginia Tech, you add in Iowa, you add in going to Nebraska. Uh, it's not, not an easy slate. So I, I don't think it's unreasonable at all to say – well, certainly it's not unreasonable to say 10 and 2, but I think I thought that would be where the bulk of the answers would be. Yeah. But hey, again, I appreciate everybody's spring optimism at 56.9%. And we've talked about this being a talented team with a high ceiling for, for 2020. So you know, man, certainly man. not out of the question to go 11 and 1 and to win the big time. Blacksburg could be a lot of fun. Like to me, that's yeah. the one atmosphere that I'm really, really pumped They've never played to each see. other, which is shocking. So waiting for I the will say, for a while. and again, we. We don't know what's going to happen in September, but looking at like, I had already have a hotel booked and all that kind of stuff, but hotels there, it seems very much like state yes. college <laughs> where it's going to be, very you know, similar like times, I, types of schools and whatnot that it's, yeah, like I think I'm out there. in Roanoke somewhere, you know, but, um, Hey, let's, let's just, let's hope, uh, there is a game in September, um, and we're all there for it to watch in the stands. I'll be in the press box, probably still filing late at night, all those fun things. So the, uh, but Matt, the inter the Ooh. next question is pretty interesting mm -hmm. because, well, so the question is, will Penn State make the college football playoff this season? And fifty nine fifty point nine percent said no, and forty five point two percent said yes. I find that interesting because fifty six point nine percent of respondents said they'd go eleven and one, and eleven and one. Well, I guess you could say, yeah. hey, they lose the Big Ten title game. Yep. Uh, but still, if you predicted eleven and one in the regular season, I feel like. Pretty much all of those people would say the playoff, but I guess not. 
but I think both of us would say no here just because we picked 10 and 2. And yes. I think we both agree that Ohio State is the favorite in the Big Ten. But if it's not Ohio State from the Big Ten, I think Penn State's probably going to enter the season as the second best team in the Big Ten. And if you win the Big Ten, well, I don't want to say if you win the Big Ten, uh, you get in the playoff because, <laughs> as we know. Which we should plug Max Olson did a story this week yes. on the all-time greatest college football playoff era team. He did a bracket. Uh, 2016 Penn State got in the bracket. Uh, I believe the they're playing snubs, really. there was room 2019 like Clemson. Snubs, I think. Yeah. Yes, eight snubs. Uh, so definitely check that out. Uh, but, but yeah, Matt, I, I think the to me, I enjoyed the 3.9% uh, of people who said they were unsure and wanted to explain their selection. Those were pretty funny. Um, someone said they're superstitious, so they couldn't answer the question. Uh, someone else said don't want to jinx it. Someone else said that they think they'll be the first team out because of some ridiculous NCAA politics. I'm sorry, but and I said, well, ridiculous. so that would be a no. Um, somebody else said that, you know, with the coronavirus and impact on spring practice, it's a coin flip. Uh, but... Yes, if this they one, beat Ohio State. No, if they don't, seems like the answer, right? <laughs> yes, I, I agree with that. Uh, it's again, it's it's fun to debate these kinds of things. I also imagined a lot of people clicking the button for this question and trying to like you know sheepishly say one thing and say, "Oh my God, I'm a fan. I'm supposed to say yes that they're going to make it in," or Ugh, "I really feel like in my gut it's a no, but I want to say yes." So totally understood uh, why people could be torn on that. I get it, but. Yeah, I would be a no for that one. All right, next question is, what is your level of concern with Penn State's four coaching staff changes? Uh, so 40.5% said two, which is pretty much, you know, not not, not really concerned. 33.8% um, gave it a three. 16.3% said one, and 8.5% said a four. Uh, Audrey, I think I would say probably like a two. I mean... Because if you look at the individual changes, Ricky Ronnie left mm -hmm. for a head coaching job and he was replaced by what we think could be an upgrade, which is not even, you know, slighting Ricky Ronnie. It's just, you know, uh, Kirk Sharaka, I think, is a really, really good offensive coordinator, a proven one. Um, you look at, uh, you know, Sean Spencer, you're concerned with losing him, but it wasn't like Penn State shouldn't be concerned about a lateral move because he left for the NFL. It's like a new type of challenge. Um, you know, Gerard Parker got an offensive coordinator job. So in that respect, it's like you're not concerned that Penn State's like guys are fleeing the staff necessarily. It's just kind of one of those years. Um, but, you know, you don't want to lose Sean Spencer. That's for sure. Uh, you know, I think Gerard Parker, you don't want to lose another receivers coach who showed some promise. But overall, it feels like they made some good hires. And I think we're kind of wait and see mode maybe with the receiving core and Taylor Stubblefield. But overall, uh at least you have to kind of, especially at, at offensive coordinator and uh, offensive line coach, you have to like what Penn State did. And I think those might have been the two most important hires possibly. Yeah, I, I would give them a three um, because it's I like who they hired. I think Troutwine, Shiraka were really good hires. The receiving core, something has to give there. Um, although I thought Parker was a really big asset for them. I thought he was a good recruiter. Uh, losing yeah. Sean Spencer is big. You bring in John Scott Jr., um, who we're still trying to, figure out, learn more about those kinds of things. Um, he does have a background though with Brent Pry and Pry had mentioned that this week. So, and they also, they brought on Dion Barnes as a GA. So that's kind of another name from the past that can maybe lessen some 
some worry there uh, because he also has a ton of ties to Northeast Philadelphia where he was a defensive coordinator last year. Um, there are some big time prospects, especially defensive linemen in Northeast Philadelphia that he had previously coached. So um, I think that kind of lessens the concern. So I'd be a three there, which pretty much would make me indifferent um, to this, not overly concerned, but also, um, you got to acknowledge that change happens, and yeah, this is Sean not Spencer the is... era anymore. Uh, it's just <laughs> still, it's, this is still like new to Penn State. Like even though it's you know it's been you know nine years since since 2011, but it's still kind of new. Like this this is what college football is like, especially when you're successful. Like guys don't hang around for for 30 years. Yeah. Um, this is this is just what you got to do, and you got to the best coaches sustain success by being adaptable and by making good hires and reinventing themselves over and over. And Nick Saban's had to do it like, you know, Bob Stoops did a lot at Oklahoma. And now James Franklin has been tested with that Rolodex as well. Yep. Uh, so we move on to what one word best describes Penn State receiving core. Um, one person. So I'm just going to go through the answers you listed here. There's been a, there are obviously a lot of uh, answers, but one person cheated and said, prove me wrong, all with no spaces. Um <laughs> There was underwhelming, clang, woof, potential, puzzling, yikes, youthful, butterfingers, untested, shattered, taller in parentheses because it's not shorter. Well played. Whoever Love that, that answer. <laughs> that made me laugh. What's your one word, Audrey? Uh, can we put that, that sound I just made yes. into a word? Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I would say unknown. I mean, because it is. I mean, you have Jahan Dotson, but everything else is wide open. Now that we mentioned Hippenhammer is out of the picture, focusing on baseball, which he wasn't going to be the answer anyway. Uh, you know, you need John Dunmore to come in here and help you out. You're going to probably need Keandre Lambert to do the same. Daniel George, Cam Sullivan Brown. I mean, it is, I've said it before, I've written it before, I will continue to say and write this. It is the biggest question mark on the team. Um, and until it's proven otherwise, Matt, um, something's going to have to change there. So I'm going to go with. I'm going to cheat and kind of give two words. I'm just going to say clean slate. I don't think we should let the kind of sins of the past kind of inform, you know, what this receiving core is and can be. It's just kind of, okay, there's another new receivers coach. Uh, you know, Justin Shorter's gone. KJ Hamler's gone. You know, the uh, obviously was the you know, biggest loss here, but just looking at a lot of unknowns and as you said, and, and, it's kind of we'll see kind of how they develop and who steps up because it's a lot of new faces. Obviously, Jahan Dotson is back. I think can be a very very good receiver for Penn State, but it's also you know Dunmore and Jones, the freshman last year, and then it's you know Lambert and all of the new guys this year. It's not just Lambert. Um, and you're talking about Parker Jayden Washington. Dutton, Parker Washington. Um, so it's, it's it's a lot of new guys and a lot of now you know not having spring ball hurts guys like. Uh, you know, Lambert and Dotton who were supposed to be here and, and practicing this spring, but you add in you know, those guys, Parker Washington, uh, you know, Norval Black, Black, you got Juco a Juco guy. transfer. Mm -hmm. So it's, it is kind of, okay, let's forget about what happens. We have a new coach. We have a new offense coordinator. It's, you know, let's see, have a competition. And I think it's going to be an interesting competition, hopefully in, in the summer um, to see who kind of steps up and emerges. Cause there's a lot of enticing young talent, it's just, again, there's kind of a clean slate here. It's who steps up and how quickly can they develop. And, Matt, speaking of development, transition here. Um, I asked for what one word best describes Micah <laughs> Parsons' abilities at linebacker. Uh, these responses did not uh, 
did not fail to entertain. And as Brent Pride mentioned this week, he said, you know, he still thinks Parsons' best football is in front of him, that there's still more they can tap into. His rush abilities is something that they want to continue um, digging into. But the answers that I particularly enjoyed, because I asked for one word, I got LeVar-esque, Arrington-esque, Arrington-e, best hyphen since hyphen LeVar. Uh, (laughs) Awesome. Beast, dynamic, and then the second most popular word was elite. And the most popular response used to describe Micah Parsons, freak. Um, I agree with each and every one of those. Yeah, I don't really have much to add here. I think that basically covers it. <laughs> He's an exciting player yeah. to watch. And, and now uh, if we just screenshot this and tweet it out, I'm sure Micah will make it a background <laughs> or put it hanging on his wall or something maybe. All right, well, we can move on to how would you order the depth chart at running back? Uh, not no surprise here with the result. 82.6% said one Journey Brown, two Noah Kane, three Devin Ford. 15.7% said Noah Kane, one Journey Brown, two Devin Ford, three. I think we would both go with the Journey Brown, Noah Kane, Devin Ford answer. I would, yeah. Uh, For I, now. I think my spin on it is that let's not forget how good Noah Kane looked when he was healthy. Mm-hmm. And that I still think as much as we didn't really see them situationally last year, we did see Noah Kane kind of play that closer role in a couple of games. So I think you do have that at least, you know, journey Brown is what the number one back Noah Kane's kind of like one B and he's also kind of the closer. I feel like that they have who who's kind of can finish games. So if he can stay healthy, but yeah. it's also to me for all we know, it'll be two series, two series, two series, one series for one of the freshmen. Oh um, boy. Don't even <laughs> say it, Matt. Don't even say it. But, I, I, mean, I mean, let's not forget how good Devin Ford looked as well. I mean, yeah. he had those flashes too. And, you know, I, I mentioned this in the, the written piece in the survey on the athletic too, is Ricky Slate has not announced where he's transferring to. And, Seeking a transfer right now with everything that's going on has to be a really interesting time to be in the transfer portal. So it's unclear where he's headed. Um, I don't think it's going to be staying here. But again, like that's still one of those things where we don't know where he's going to end up. But still, you've got these other three options. Uh, then you have Keziah Holmes and Kevion Lee in there as well. So you've got five scholarship running backs that you really like, um, which definitely means... First couple games of the season, Noah Kane and Devin Ford and somebody else are probably going to surprise us and throw this all into chaos and we'll continue uh, beating the running back theme uh, into the ground. But I, I, yeah, I, I agree with Brown, Kane, Ford for now on April 1st. So the next question was, who is the most important player in the 2021 recruiting class for Penn State? Uh, you ranked them here in the order of the most votes. Number one was quarterback Caleb Williams, the five-star uh, from DC, number two mm-hmm. was offensive tackle Nolan Rucci, who is a five-star recruit, number one prospect in Pennsylvania in the twenty-four-seven sports composite. Number three was Landon Tangwell, who's already verbally committed, and we've talked about. And uh, number four was wide receiver Dante Thornton. So, who would you say is the most important player in the 2021 recruiting class for Penn State to sign? Absolutely, Caleb Williams, five-star quarterback, um, top quarterback in the class. You look at what separates. You know, these programs that Penn State's trying to get over the hurdle to, you know, your LSUs, your Alabamas, your Clemsons, um, your Georgias, it's that five-star quarterback. And that's what you need. There are only so many of them that you have a shot at. Uh, It's also interesting to me that Williams, one of his finalists, is Maryland. Um, Good God, I can only imagine if Mike Loxley is able to sign him. Um, That would be absolutely insane. But 
for Penn State, you know, it's you're in a good spot. You're in about as good of a spot as you could be for this for this particular time. But you got to seal the deal there. Uh, I agree with this ranking with Rucci then being second, then Tangwell and Thornton Jr. Um, Rucci is certainly very important, and it's doubly important because it's a Penn State guy. Now, if he ends up going to like a Notre Dame or a Clemson or something, that's one thing. As long as you keep him out of the Big Ten East, if he goes somewhere else, it's not as big of a deal. Um, But Thornton Jr. to me is really interesting because Penn State once had his verbal commitment super, super early on, then of course lost it as he opened things up. Um, We talked about the receiver play. We'll continue to talk about the receiver play and what they need there. They've they've actually recruited the receiving spot really, really well. Um, now I'm not I'm saying that without thinking of Shorter, who's headed to Florida. But it, to me, this is something where you've got to start developing these big time receivers because that ties in, Matt, uh, to one of my questions later on in the survey, which is. If you could pick one college player uh, from any other team currently, who would you pick? And well, let's get back. Let's receivers. get to the second. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I want to slightly disagree with your answer to the recruiting question. I don't disagree wow. about Caleb Williams being so important. Okay. Because it's a five-star quarterback, five-star recruit. Like, he's one of the best players in the class. He's number five overall Nationally, in the 20 yeah. So, obviously, he is a hugely important recruit to be on that radar. However... I will say, I'm going to say Rucci is more important for a few reasons. One, he seems much more Rucci likely. Rucci over to, Williams? Is this what you're saying? Yes. He seems, number one, he seems much more likely to pick Penn State. Like, I think at this point, Caleb We're not Williams, basing it off of more likely, man. That's not the question. I'm just saying it, it's important <laughs> to land because it just seems more plausible. Not that they're not in the mix for Williams. Um, and again, you know, Rucci is number 14 overall. So he's like among the elite of the mm-hmm. elite recruits. Okay. Number two, I will say that. So he is the number one player in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania has been pretty inconsistent with talent in recent years. Um, This year, as of right now in the 24-7 composite, it is a little stronger than it's been. Uh, There's nine blue chip prospects, five or four star, and there's five who are in the top 60 nationally. So it's some top end talent that, you know, obviously there's been some guys, but, you know, Julian Fleming and and and, uh, Michael Parsons, uh, but it's not the depth of talent and the top tier talent has not been as good in Pennsylvania. So you have number one prospect in Pennsylvania. He's number 14 overall. But if you look at, I just mentioned that talent. So the number two prospect in Pennsylvania, Kyle McCord quarterback from St. Joe's prep committed to Ohio state. Number three prospect, Jeremiah Trotter, Jr. Linebacker, four star number 35 overall committed to Clemson. Young number X-Men. five recruit Marvin Harrison, Jr. A lot of familiar names that make us feel <laughs> mm-hmm. old here. Marvin Harrison, Jr. Wide receiver St. Joe's prep four star 57th overall nationally committed to Ohio state. Three of the top five players in a really good class at the top for Pennsylvania are already committed elsewhere to those top tier playoff contender programs. We've already talked about. So uh, go into Maryland to get their best players that go helps, into Maryland, but yep. You really don't want to lose Nolan Ritchie to a program like Clemson. Cause it's like, man, like we've talked about the playoff dominance in these top tier programs. Just yes, but I don't think stars. it's going to matter if Ritchie's, if he's past protecting for a three-star quarterback. That, to me, is where the divide is. See, here's the thing. I I don't disagree with you about the importance of trying to land Caleb Williams. Obviously, Mm -hmm. it's huge. I just think... The internet would explode. With a good year for Pennsylvania, if, like, all of these top five guys are going elsewhere, that's not good. When, obviously, they've kind of backed off the dominate the state kind of slogan, but I will just say Nolan Ritchie is very important in that respect. 
So no, I think, no, there's, I think there's an argument for both. And obviously, Caleb Williams, you need the quarterback. I agree. I'm just going to yeah. make the argument for realistically. Well. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's very much a, again, you got to take care of your state. And it's hard to do when you've got a cycle like that where there are so many good guys. But I do like what they're doing in Maryland um, and the fact that, you know, hey, you got Curtis Jacobs there this last cycle and he's friends with Thornton Jr. So maybe, you know, maybe that's a connection. You know, then you get Tangwall, um, who then is going to work on Rucci. So you've got, a, I mean, you've got four really, really good options here, Matt. But I think the important thing is you got to get three of these four in my mind. That's a fair point. That is a fair point. Um, let's move on. So maybe we have a different spin on this question. We are obviously unbiased chroniclers of Penn State football. The next question is, who is your favorite player on the current Penn State roster? Ranked in order of the most votes here, we had Micah Parsons, one, Pat Frymuth, two, Journey Brown, three, Noah Kane, four, Sean Clifford, five. I'm not totally shocked here. I think you pointed out, hey, Noah Kane, who's like the number two running back. <laughs> yeah, I don't know quarterback, what was up with that. Yeah. Everybody loves Noah Kane. Come on. Um, so I don't know. You, you can answer this question however you would like. Who is your favorite player to watch? Who's your favorite player uh, to cover, to talk to? Give me, give me my, some kind of answer here. My favorite interview is actually a, on the current roster is a two way tie. Actually, I'll say it's a two way tie. And that would be between Parsons and Fryermuth. Uh, Parsons, because you never know what he's going to say. Um, so it's it's very entertaining. Uh, Fryermuth is super smart, very personable, really enjoy getting to talk with Pat. Um, and I think he's he's going to be a superstar. So I think those guys are they're great interviews. But honestly, Matt, looking at those five, those five are all really good quotes, which is how I base these things off of, which probably sounds absolutely insane to most people. <laughs> Um, Journey Brown, super nice kid. Noah Kane, very nice kid. Sean Clifford, always been um, super nice as well. Really nice family. So you, they're very, they're very likable. You know, I for, and obviously my perspective on this is totally different because I don't think about like oh who's the best. I think about who's a nice person, who's cooperative, who makes my job easier, um, and all of those finalists do. So I, I appreciate that. But I will say this, Matt, as someone who is very critical because it's my job to be very critical of Penn State. Um, the kids on this roster, by and large, uh, my time covering Penn State, they've been awesome. They've been great to deal with and something a lot of people ask me, like, oh, what is it like being a woman covering college football or whatever? Um, the kids have always been great to me for, for the most part. There have been a few here and there. That'll happen um, anywhere, though. Yeah, but th- like they've been super nice people, um, and that to me is is always important. Well, I'll, I think if I had to pick somebody to watch, I get you know it's hard to argue against Michael Parsons. He's one of the best defensive players in Penn State history already. He's you know arguably the best defensive player coming back to college football. I and I don't mean this as a slight to Journey Brown. I do really do I really do like watching Noah Kane. I just think he's kind of a different style than Penn State's had in a while. So maybe that's my answer. We've talked about that a lot though. So yeah. I think these are all pretty good choices though. Um, who is your all-time favorite Penn State player? You asked, and obviously this has a wealth of answers. I believe my dad wrote in Jack Ham as one of the answers. I don't know how many Jack Hams showed up. There were not <laughs> many, which surprised me. There there were only like a handful. Uh, but ranked Same order thing most with Franco. Ranks, we had Saquon Barkley. Here's the thing. Franco was a better pro than a college player because he like shared the backfield at Penn State. Um, yeah. But Saquon Barkley was one. LeVar Arrington, two. Paul Blazlesny, three. Michael Robinson, four. And then you had also uh, Trace McSorley, Kurt Warner, and Kajana Carter there. 
This is tough for me. I grew up with Penn State football more than you did. Uh, Much more than I did, games, yeah. You know, grew up with, as I mentioned, my dad filling out the survey. Um, I would... LeVar was probably my favorite to watch. Uh, I was, you know, 11, 12 years old when he was at the, or, you know, at peak of his powers there. Uh, Kajana Carter was the first team I remember. Uh, my first Penn State jersey as a fan when I was six. So, soft spot there. Uh, hard to argue against Pizlozzi and Michael Robinson for what they meant for kind of rescuing the program there. And then I'm going to give just my wild card answer. Um, which is Aaron Harris, which I think some Penn State fans of a certain age would yes. have a soft spot for. Uh, guy who, who was kind of overshadowed by like Curtis Enos, had injury problems that held him back. But when he, when, he, when he was at his best, he was so much fun to watch. He's like 230, 240 pounds, just ran over people. There's like, you know, he had a great game against Ohio State in, in 97. Uh, so that's kind of my wild card just really, really fun to watch Penn State player that doesn't get his his due, partially because he was overshadowed, partially because of the injuries. And you know how I know this name, Matt, because as someone who did not grow up on this? Yes. From Downingtown, yes. my hometown. So um, I knew you'd like Aaron that. and Arlen Harris. <laughs> um, and I believe, I want to say, right? Because Aaron and Arlen. If I, I, if I recall correctly, because <laughs> I believe, I do believe uh, Arlen Harris has a kid who Penn State is now recruiting, which there you go. make us all feel old. Um, but yeah, that's how I know that name because I guess it would have been Arlen who was a substitute teacher and he substitute taught one of my middle school classes once. Well, there you go. Um, yes, he was the older brother early. Yes, all right. I forgot the so, name, so there you go. <laughs> I, I would go, again, recency bias, not growing up uh, on Penn State at all. Saquon Barkley was incredible, insanely nice human being. A great answer. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, recency bias, be damned, it's a good answer. Oh, can I go the other way? Since I'm the person who reads way too much about really old history. Yes. So my answer is Glenn Killinger, star quarterback of the early 1920s. A first golden age of Penn State football that people don't know about. Uh, also, he's from Westchester, I believe. Or really? At, or, he, or he coached at Westchester then. So the Golden he was one of one of Penn State's early All Americans, and I like reading about that era of Penn State football. So since we're we're, we're going to balance out the recency bias, and I'm going to go to the 1920s to mention a favorite player. I um, like it. If you could pick, so this is our last question you mentioned earlier. If you could pick one current player from any college football team to play at Penn State, who would it be? Uh, Justin Fields, Ohio State; Trevor Lawrence, Clemson; uh, wide receiver Jamar Chase from LSU; cornerback Derek Stingley Jr. from LSU. Uh, Julian Fleming, who's not even played it down for Ohio State, but I'm not surprised to see that answer. And then Rondell Moore, the wide receiver from Purdue. Those are the most popular answers. Fleming on- got more, a couple more votes than Rondell Moore, which I get kind it. of, I get yeah, it. kind of surprised <laughs> yeah. me, but not. I mean, Rondell Moore certainly proven more as a college player, but I get it. Uh, so for this answer, I think the easy answer is to say a quarterback, even just because yeah. it's the most important position. But I don't know, I, I. Sean Clifford is a very good player, obviously, and I think everybody would agree Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence have you know proven more at the college level. They're you know really really yeah. good players, Heisman candidates. But just just to be different, I think I would say a wide receiver, just because that's like Penn State's most glaring need. In which case, I would probably agree with the Jamar Chase pick from LSU. He's a freak. He would be an instant starter for Penn State, instant upgrade in the receiving core. So I think that's a good answer, just because quarterback. Well, you know, it, it's. Those guys would be an upgrade over Clifford, but it's not as glaring. Comparing it to the current roster. Like if you look at the current roster. So I'm going to go Jamar Chase. 
I'm going to go with the top uh, vote getter, Justin Fields, uh, because I really would have would love in my alternative universe to see how this would turn out um, if For Fields sure. was the quarterback of this team. Again, like you said, you'd still have the the problems in the receiving core, the lack of depth, but he was a lot of fun to watch last year. And the theme throughout this survey, Matt, was uh, not surprising, but was Penn State fans wanting to hurt Ohio State yes, however they can. <laughs> so you get the double whammy here. You take him away from Ohio State, give Ohio State who knows who, whatever quarterback, um, then give Penn State Justin Fields, then they probably get over that hump into the playoff, then everybody's happy, the se- season's a success. Uh, but that that's why I would go. But then, like, you're splitting hairs between Fields or Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. Like, to me, that's another – would be a really fascinating Here's one more good too. answer. I was talking about receivers. How about Rashad mm-hmm. Bateman from Minnesota? He got some votes in the survey. knows him well, and Kirk yes. Truckin knows him well. And regardless of who the offensive coordinator is, uh, he's a guy who averaged 20 yards per catch last year. So he'd be pretty good on Penn State's roster, too. Yeah, clearly they need some help in the receiving core. Um, that would be absolutely amazing if that happened. Um, but yeah, I, I think you've, you've got great selections. Um, I do like the cornerback pick too. Um, Dirk Stingley is a freak. Yes. <laughs> I mean, like you just get some of these monster defensive backs and it's you get yourself a shutdown corner. Uh, it's it's a different but ball game out there. But Penn State's got a lot. With, yeah. you know, Stingley was just an All-American as a freshman, but... Penn State has three guys who were true freshmen last year who are potentially really good at cornerback. So I don't know if anybody's going to be as good as Stingley, who might be like a top two pick in the draft in a couple years. But Penn State's also loaded with young talent there. Um, so we've made it through the end of the survey. So that's that's our picks. Uh, we appreciate the over 700 responses we got on The Athletic. Uh, and if you're not a subscriber, we'll definitely... Yeah, please subscribe yeah. to that I can take a look at the the results there. And you can, uh, 90 day free trial is still going yes. on. Um, if you sign up through the website, not the app, if you sign up through the web, um, you can get our 90 day, so AKA three month free trial. You can check out all the stuff we're doing. Um, and as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I've been busy. Like we've been finding stuff to write about. I've got four or five stories right now that I'm in the middle of working on that I'm excited for you guys to see and to read. Um, because we've got all these new storylines and we've got recruits to talk to. You've got kids who are committed who don't know, you know, when they're going to get to school. Um, you've got players with books in their dorms and apartments that they can't get to in notes. Uh, it's There's a lot going on. Um, so I appreciate everybody who took the time especially to fill out the survey, give us stuff to work with, because... If you don't fill out that survey, um, this whole thing does not work. So if you don't subscribe to The Athletic, this whole thing, um, these jobs that Matt and I love, it doesn't work. So that uh, is never lost on us. Very much appreciated. I hope you guys stay safe. Wash your hands. Practice social distancing. Uh, If you get super, super bored, hopefully we're helping you cure that boredom during these very strange and scary times. That about does it. That says it all there. So everybody stay safe and check back. Uh, Dear Old State, we'll have another episode, I think probably next week here with, uh, we'll have your uh, interview with Landon Tangwell. Tangwell will also uh, regroup and talk about, you know, Sandy Barber, the athletic director is speaking Thursday morning. We are recording this on Wednesday. So there's still going to be some lingering news to talk about from availabilities and such. And we'll uh, get to that Tangwell interview as well. So stay safe, everybody. And uh, we appreciate you giving us your time and uh, thanks for listening to Gerald State we'll be back soon